Hey everyone, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. Our prayer is that through this message, you will find the Father, a family, and a fulfilling future. Be sure to connect with us online at Cornerstone Church Social to keep up with all things Cornerstone. Thanks for tuning in. To be in God's house today. Excited to be in God's house. I'm excited to have you guys here. Uh, excited to be worshiping together. Thank you very much, Bill. Excited to be worshiping being together with all of you today. Uh, we are here. Uh, before we hop in, I want to give just a few quick announcements. Number one, uh, we are 35 days out from Easter right now. 35 days out from Easter. Uh, I say that to say this, be inviting people. We're going to be having specific invites coming uh, down the road, but Man, just, just start getting the word out there right now. I said this last year, and I'm gonna say it again. We wanna break fire code in the name of God <laughs> here at Cornerstone. To the glory of God, we wanna break fire codes in here. We wanna have this place packed out. Uh, so if you know of anybody, friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, anybody who could use a good church, man, invite them. This is one of the times throughout the year, more than any other time, that people uh, will accept an invite to church. They'll accept an invitation. So be thinking of people to invite. That's the first thing I wanted to mention. Now, the second thing I wanted to mention, this is just a cool, uh, quick update. We're actually on the next step uh, of our here and now uh, building campaign. Uh, we've been in the uh, concept uh, design stage for a while. We've actually moved on. We've been in the construction design stage for a few weeks now, uh, which means that our architects, they've finalized things and now they're putting together the construction plan. So what that basically means is we are still on schedule for us to begin work on our renovation and construction of phase one this year. Isn't that awesome? Absolutely, that is good, good news. Man, just thankful so much for how God's moving in our church uh, in incredible ways. Thankful for how he's gonna move today and how he already is moving as we're in part two of this series, Better. Better. We are studying the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, one of my favorite books in all of scripture. This is a four-week series, so it's not going to be a complete study of Hebrews. It's a, a dense, dense theological work. There's a lot of stuff that we could cover. This could be a, a full year, honestly, if we wanted it to be. So we're trying to hit some of the main points throughout the book of Hebrews during these four weeks. If you missed last week, just to give you a quick update, and where we were, we, we looked at the background of the book, that the book was written in the year about 63 AD, so about 30 years after Jesus' ministry, uh, his life, uh, his death and resurrection. It's about 30 years later. We don't know who wrote it. We're not sure uh, who it was. The author doesn't uh, name him or herself, right? They don't, we don't know who, who wrote the book of Hebrews. But one of the big things that we do know is what's the most important thing, the focus of the book. The focus of the book, the theme of the letter, and the theme is this, that Jesus has come to change our lives for forever and for the better. Jesus has come to change our lives for the better and for forever. And so what we looked at last week, we kind of studied uh, around Hebrews chapter one, the opening three verses. Let me just read the first two to you again. It said long ago, and we don't have this up on the screen, I just wanna read this to you. It says long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. But now, in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance, and through the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. 
And so what we talked about last week is this idea that with Jesus, what we get is we get a better picture of God. We, we get something better. We get a better picture of God than we got before Jesus came. We get to see the exact representation of who God is. Now, one of the things that I mentioned last week, I believe the author of Hebrews starts the letter off that way, just saying, hey, look, this is who we have to understand that Jesus is because the author is gonna make some very bold claims in the chapters to come. Today, we're gonna be focusing on one of those very bold claims that the author makes in Hebrews. So uh, today, we're gonna be in Hebrews chapter eight. That's where we're gonna be working out of uh, for the majority of our time. So you're like, yeah, we're skipping way ahead. We were in Hebrews one. Now we're skipping ahead all these chapters to chapter eight. Uh, Really what the intervening chapters, chapter two through chapter seven are talking about, they're, they're talking about how Jesus is better. Chapter one says, hey, this is who Jesus is, and Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the priests. And then what we're gonna be looking at today is how Jesus is better in that he brings us a better covenant. He brings us a better covenant, a better relationship with God. This is where we're gonna be reading today, Hebrews 8. We're gonna look at verses one and two, and then verses six through 13. This is what scripture says. Here is the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. If you're a note taker, our sermon title for today is Out With The Old, In With The New. Out With The Old, In With The New. Can you say it with me? Out With The Old, In With The New. We're gonna uh, learn today what this looks like, what it means that we are under a new covenant, that we're under a new covenant. So like I've said uh, uh, last week in the series, man, we're gonna have a lot of scripture. Give, Give grace to the slide runner up there because we're gonna be jumping all over the place with scripture verses today. But uh, another thing that we have to uh, just set up from the onset as we hop in to today is I wanna give you a, a key terminology that you'll hear a few different times in the sermon today. And I just wanna make sure we're all working on the same page. We all have the same understanding of what we're talking about. Uh, uh, one word that you're gonna hear a lot today is the word covenant. Covenant, that's kind of a, a very churchy word. It's not a word that we use a lot in just normal, everyday language. It's not something that we uh, use a lot. So what is 
a covenant? Well, a covenant is a promise. It's a binding agreement between two parties. It's a a binding agreement, but it's different than a contract. A a covenant, it's more relational. It's more personal. It's more intimate. That's what a covenant is. It's a binding, intimate, personal promise. And in scripture, we actually see numerous covenants. In, In the Old Testament, we actually see quite a few. There's four major ones that we see in the Old Testament. God makes a covenant with Noah. God makes a covenant with Abraham. God makes a covenant uh, with, uh, let's see, uh, with Moses. And then God makes a covenant with David. These are the four major covenants that we see uh, in the Old Testament between God and humanity. God is making this binding relational promise between him and humanity. And what that shows us, what it points to is that Christianity, our faith, Christianity is a faith of covenant, not contract. We're we're not a faith of contract. Whenever you think of a contract, you think of, okay, look, two parties come to the table. I'm gonna write down my expectations of you. You write down your expectations of me. And if either one of us don't live up to it, like exactly, I get to be out. (laughs) I, I can walk away. I can walk away from the table. I don't have to stick to this thing anymore. That's what a contract is. A covenant, a covenant is binding. It is binding. And what you'll notice is God in all of those instances in the Old Testament, whenever he enters into covenant with his people, his people spit in his face over and over again. But God's still there. His people turn their back on him over and over again. And God says, hey, look, I'm frustrated with you. I'm angry with you. But I'm still gonna hold up my end of the bargain. And every single one of those covenants, the one with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, with David, God remained faithful to the very end because Christianity is a faith of covenants, not contracts. A faith of covenants, not contracts. Again, this is what it said in Hebrews 8, 6, what we just read a little bit ago. If the first covenant had not been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. God is a God of covenants. He's a God of relationship. He's an intimate, close, personal God. He's about covenants, not contracts. But, but, (laughs) the Mosaic covenant in particular the covenant that God made with Moses, I gotta be honest, whenever you're reading it, feels a little bit like a contract. Feels a little bit like a contract. Whenever you're reading the Mosaic covenant, whenever you're reading the covenant that God made with Moses and with the nation of Israel, um, it, it doesn't seem to pass the duck test. Has anyone ever heard of the duck test before? If it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, it's a duck, right, you know? And whenever you read Moses' covenant with God and God's covenant with him and with the people of Israel and you start reading it and you're like reading it and reading it and reading it and you read all 613 commands and you're going through this and you're like, whew, that is, this isn't a contract? Sure feels like a contract. Like It sure feels like this is a, a binding agreement that you better do all of these things and if you don't do them, if you don't live up to this, then I'm out. God's gonna back out of it. It can read that way and it can feel that way and not just can it read and feel that way, uh, it can affect the way that we relate to God. It affected the way that people related to God in Bible times and it still, to this day, affects people because you see, the, the truth of the matter is Christianity, again, it is a faith of covenant, not contract and this Mosaic covenant, it was in full force until Jesus until Jesus came. But there's some people in Bible times and in our times who would still kind of argue, no, it's still in effect. No, it's still in force. We're still under the law. 
And that's kind of the big theme that we're, we're talking about today from Hebrews chapter eight. Are Christians still under the law? Are we still beholden to the law? Uh, uh, there's another book in scripture called the book of Galatians. It's kind of like, uh, honestly, it's like the book of Hebrews, brother or sister. It's a sibling. It's very identical book, very similar book. It hits on the same kind of themes and topics over and over again. And the book of Galatians was written to a group that was dealing with a lot of pressure because there was a group of, they were called the Judaizers. Basically what they believed uh, is they were good with Jesus. They're like, yeah, Jesus, awesome, love that guy. But it's Jesus and the law. <laughs> it's not just Jesus. Like just Jesus isn't gonna be good enough to, to get you into heaven or get into, you, into God's good graces. You need Jesus plus something and that something is the law. And the church that was uh, located in this area in Galatia they were feeling it. They were feeling the pressure because this group of people is saying, hey, if you wanna be good with Jesus, you gotta, you gotta keep the law. You gotta abide by every bit of the Mosaic law. You gotta still be circumcised. You still gotta do all these things if you wanna be on God's good side. So basically, it's kind of this contract thinking, right? Right, this idea that like, if you wanna be good with God, you better be able to check off every single one of these boxes. You better be able to say that you followed the law to the T. And the fact of the matter is, this is not just an issue that existed back in Jesus' day or back in the Apostle Paul's day. This is an issue that still persists to this day. Have you ever run into a modern-day Judaizer? Are you a modern-day Judaizer, right? Are you the modern-day person who, who's, you know, hey, you're not abiding by, you're not, you're not abiding by? This is an issue that we still face to this day. Uh, and I understand it. I understand how this can be confusing for Christians and how this can be confusing for us in our context to go, well, don't we still, aren't we still supposed to follow the law? Like what, Jesus has come and now it's grace, now just it's a free for all. Everybody gets to do what they wanna do. Everyone gets to do what's right in their own eyes. Is that really what you're trying to say? Is that really what scripture teaches? Especially whenever you read verses like Matthew chapter five, uh, 17 and 18. This is Jesus speaking. Listen to what he says. He says this, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophet. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So you hear that and you go, yeah, Sounds like Christians are still under the law, right? Sounds like we're, we're still under the law. Sounds like we still have to abide by, by the law and all these thou shalt nots and thou shalls and you know, this big list of to do's and to don'ts. Like we're, we're still beholden to this thing, right? But this is why this is so deadly and this is, this is why we're talking about this today. Whenever we follow that logic, Anytime we follow a Jesus and logic, a Jesus and following this, a Jesus and doing this is what makes you right with God. Anytime we do that, it doesn't lead anywhere good. It never leads anywhere good. Uh, you know what that leads to whenever we believe that it's Jesus and, Jesus and the law? Uh, we start to try to work for God's favor. Has anyone ever been there in their life? where you feel like you're trying to work to get God's favor, you're trying to, to look good and to do everything good so that God will smile upon you, you're, you're trying to work for his favor like a, a kid trying to work for a parent's approval, right? Um, have you, uh, this is another thing that leads, uh, that this kind of thinking leads to, that Jesus plus the law is what keeps us holy. Uh, have you ever been a person who's prayed for salvation like 100 times? <laughs> 
Do you ever go to youth camp or to like Bible camp whenever you're little and every year you got resaved? You're like, I'm sorry, I'm gonna burn all my secular CDs and I'm never gonna listen to these again, right? You get resaved over and over again because you feel like, man, I'm on shaky ground with God. I haven't kept the law good enough. Is he really happy with me? I better make sure that this salvation took. Like, I better make sure that I, I say it again and again and again to make sure that I'm on a good place with God. This logic leads there. It also leads to a, a really, really nasty thing. It can lead to a holy pride. Look how good I am. Ooh, look how good I keep the law. God must be pleased with me. Man, I, I am such a gift to this church with how holy I am, with how, how much I abide by all these laws. I am such a great person. This is where this logic flows. This modern day Judaizer, this modern day idea of Jesus plus the law is what keeps us holy. This is what I'll say in regards to that. And then we're gonna build out from here because this is, this is a bold statement, but it's a bold statement that, that scripture uh, points to. When it comes to the law, when it comes to the law of Moses, when it comes to the, 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 the full law, all 613 commands, this is what I'll say. We don't follow what Jesus has fulfilled. If Jesus has finished it, we don't continue it. If Jesus says it's at an end, we don't say, no, 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 I know you put a period there, but we want to put a comma <laughs> because it makes us feel better because if I do this, then I can compare myself to other people. And if I do this, I can feel better about myself. And we don't get to do that. We don't follow what Jesus has fulfilled. Let me read to you from the book of Galatians. This is so good. This is Galatians chapter three. Like I said, this is a, a, a mirror in a lot of ways of the book of Hebrews. This is what it says in Galatians. We're gonna start in uh, chapter three, verse two. It says this. Let me ask you this question. This is the apostle Paul writing. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? You see what Paul's saying? <laughs> Paul's saying, what is, is, is your right standing with God because you were such a great rule keeper? Is your right standing with God because you followed the letter of the law to the T? Is that why you're in a good place with God? No, Jesus has fulfilled it. Jesus has finished it. Jesus has fulfilled all of the law on our behalf. So let's go back to what we read from the book of Matthew, right? The book of Matthew where it says, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 5, 17 and 18, what we just read. Jesus says, uh, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, right? Don't think I've come to do that. I have come to fulfill them and not a single jot, not a single dot of the letter of the law will disappear until everything is completed, until everything is finished. Well, when Jesus died, and rose again, it was finished. When Jesus died, whenever he died, his perfect sacrificial death, it was finished. The, the law, its purpose up to that point had come to an end. Its purpose was finished, and how what we read in Hebrews chapter eight, it's now been fulfilled, and it is now starting to disappear. It's starting to disappear. It makes me think, I wanna, I wanna grab uh, this little scooter over here real quick. Whenever I was pulling this thing into service today, people were like, are you okay, Pastor Jacob? Um, so this little scooter right here, has anyone ever seen one of these bad boys? 
The little, yeah, I heard some like groans, like, oh yeah, you probably had to use one of these before. So this, my wife Jessica had to use this for a period of time whenever she broke her foot. This is a few years back whenever we were still living uh, in Cleveland. She had to use one of these little scooters. We were, it was like just the biggest freak accident ever. Like she was leaving uh, South Park Mall with the girls. Uh, We didn't have Griffin at the time, but she's leaving South Park Mall with the girls and they were kind of acting up, just being kind of crazy. And they like stepped off of a curb and Jessica like went to go with them because they were kind of pulling her and she just stepped off weird and boom, just instantly fell and just broke her foot. And she's like in pain. So she's able to get to, you know, use his mom strength to carry the kids to the car on a broken foot, puts them in. Uh, which by the way, let me tell you, if you want to be able to guilt trip your kids forever, break a bone because of them. Like it were, it's better than I gave birth to you. They don't remember that, but they remember you crying in agony, being like, you did this to me, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> she didn't say that. She's a great mom. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but she had to use this and it was so funny. At first, she like hated it. She like did not like the scooter at all. Um, but then she started to realize like, wow, like I can actually... This is way better than not having anything. Like she tried the crutches for a little bit. The crutches just were not happening. This actually was great for her. Like, I mean, she of course wanted to be able to have her foot heal and walk again. But for a period of time, this served her incredibly well. And it was a lot of fun for me. I would take this thing on like little joy rides in the driveway and stuff like that. She was not amused at all. (laughs) Uh, But this thing served a really good purpose for a while. This is the first time I've seen it since her foot healed, though. <laughs> like, we, it just hasn't been around. Jessica hasn't been using it. Jessica hasn't been taking joy rides. She hasn't been putting on the, the cast and going around town with this on anymore. We, we don't need it anymore. Does it mean that it was bad or that it was terrible? Or let's, let's, get, let's just, like, destroy this thing. Like, no, it, it was great, and its purpose has been accomplished, it did what it need to, needed to do, and now that it's done, we're done. Because <laughs> there's something better. She's able to walk now. She's healed. She doesn't need this to get around anymore. Do you see where I'm going with this? The law was amazing. The law was fantastic. The law that God gave Moses, it was so far ahead of any other ancient legal code that you read about. It was incredible, and it served its purpose but it's been fulfilled. It's finished. In the work of Jesus, Jesus has completed the law. And not just that, not just is it finished, like we read in Hebrews 8.12, where it says that a new covenant is here and the first one is now obsolete. Not only has God finished and closed out the initial covenant, that, that, that Mosaic law, not only has that come to a close, he hasn't just finished it, he's replaced it. There's something new in its stead, and the new thing is better. (laughs) The new thing is better. It is far superior than the old covenant. God didn't just take something away. He's replaced it. Once again, out with the old, in with the new. Out with the old, in with the new, which this is so important that we understand this point because this is where it's very easy for churches and it's easy for us, it's, it's easy for everybody to, to, to set up these, these false dichotomies and to, to, to take things to a place where the Bible doesn't actually go. It can be very easy to just end it right there. 
Be like, and this, this was the law and we're done and it's go over with and everybody do what they want right now, right? Like that's, it's very easy to say Jesus fulfilled and finished the law, but that's not it. Yes, he finished it. Yes, he fulfilled it and he replaced it. There is something new in its stead now. So what that means, I like to think of it this way. Christians, we're not lawless. We just live in a new jurisdiction now, <laughs> right? Like Christians, we are not supposed to be lawless people who it's like, well, we, you know, under, under grace, baby. I'm under grace. I get to do whatever I want. Like that's not where we're at now. We're, we're not lawless people, but what's happened is we have just moved and we have changed jurisdictions Hebrews 8, 7, we have, been, we have been under one covenant. We are now under a new one. We are under a new covenant, a new way of living. Jesus has ushered this in. Let me read to you. I wanna read again from Galatians chapter three. This is what it says in verses 19 through 25. This is so good. Again, this is the Apostle Paul writing. Why then was the law given? If the law can't save us, why was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. Purpose of the law, right there from the lips of the Apostle Paul. Why was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we, uh, uh, until it was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. Christians, we are not lawless, but we are under a new jurisdiction. <laughs> We're not lawless, but we are under a new covenant. We're under a new way. We're under a new way of living. And like the Apostle Paul points out here, the law, its purpose, the, the, the function of it was to show us our sin, to show us our need for a savior, to show us, look, you can't measure up. You can't keep all these things. You, you want Jesus plus the law, you could never fulfill the law. You could never meet all of its obligations. You couldn't. Do it. That's the purpose of the law, to show us our sin, to show us our need of a savior. But now with Jesus coming, he has taken care of that. He has fulfilled the law and put us under a new jurisdiction, put us under a new covenant, a new way of relating with God. This is, again, this is such an important point. We do not need to pit the law and grace against each other. We don't need to do that. We don't need to make them enemies. We don't make it sound like, well, I'm not under that thing anymore. This was awful and it was terrible and I hated it and I'm under grace now. Like, law and grace are not supposed to be at odds. They go together. It's not law versus grace. It's law and grace. The law was our custodian. It was our protector until Jesus came. 
It, it guided us. It, it showed us how to live a certain way until relationship with Jesus was possible. And so what the law did is it led and it pointed to Jesus. It led and it pointed to Jesus. Now, the thing that really just stinks about this is, is we do create a dichotomy, though. We create this division where we say, there's law churches and there's grace churches. And well, well, he's a pastor who preaches the truth. And this one over here, they're just kind of anything goes, right? Like that, that's what we do, don't we? Like, you know, you, you've got pastors in your head who you're thinking like, oh yeah, they're hellfire and brimstone. They're just a truth pastor. That, they don't care about any of the grace. And then you got the ones on the other side going, oh yeah, they never preach. They don't even know what the word sin is. They never preach about that. They only preach anything goes and you get to do whatever you want. We create these silly dichotomies, and it's just, it, it's ridiculous. These are both good things. The law led us to grace, and that's where we are now. Now, unfortunately, Cornerstone, can you believe we've gotten characterized in, in, in bad ways before? Can you believe that? Shocking, right? <laughs> Shocking. People, people have labeled us as one of these grace churches. Like, oh, man, that Cornerstone, man, that's an anything goes kind of church. Grace that cornerstone is getting carried away. <laughs> it's getting carried away at cornerstone. And what I would say to that is, yeah, <laughs> like guilty. Like that, yeah, we're, we're guilty of that. Um, grace, you see, this is, this is my view of this. And this is why uh, it's so important. Again, the law is not bad, but the law has led us and pushed us to, to grace, and that's where we are now. That's the covenant that we're under now, the law or the covenant of grace. Um, Grace, yeah, we, we get carried away with grace here at Cornerstone uh, because grace got carried away when God carried a cross. You, you don't get any more grace out of hand than that moment when the God of the universe is carrying his own cross and forgiving the people who would nail him to it. Yeah, grace is out of hand. Yeah, we get carried away with grace here at Cornerstone because God got carried away with grace. That's what we see modeled by him. I love the way that this is phrased uh, in, in Galatians 3, verse one. Listen to this. This is what Paul says. He says, oh, you foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Paul's saying, how, how are you missing this? <laughs> How are you missing that we are now under a covenant of grace? How in the world, it is so abundantly clear. How do you look at the cross of Christ and not see that grace has gotten out of hand? How do you look at the cross of Christ and see, well, yeah, Jesus is grace plus Jesus is grace and, no, that's it. What we said last week, Jesus was not another word from God. He was the final word from God. With him, Everything is finished. Everything is accomplished. We live under a new jurisdiction, a covenant of grace. I, now, I get, I will say this. I understand why people try to temper everything, why they try to, oh, well, no grace, but let's temper it. Let's not get too carried away. I get it, and it's a, it's a valid concern. But what people worry about is that if you're carried away with grace, if you're carried away with the fact that we're not under the law anymore, well, if there's no law, sin will abound, right? If, if it's just all grace, people will do whatever they want because it's cheap grace and they feel like they can sleep with whoever they want and drink whatever they want and go from bed to bed and from drug to drug and do literally whatever they want. And it's fine, it's fine. They can talk to people however they want, they can do whatever. And it's no big problem because grace. 
So I get it. I get the, the desire or the, the, the temptation to feel like, oh, well, we need to like tamper things down and not make it sound like Christianity is all about grace. There has to be law here too. But see, that again, we're, we're creating a, a false division here. Law and grace are not at odds with each other. What grace simply means, what grace simply means, we, we mentioned this in a sermon uh, about a month or two months back now. What grace means, what this new covenant means is I don't work for God's favor anymore. I work from God's favor. I don't have to do anything to work for his favor anymore. I don't have to, I don't have to follow this or that to, to make sure that God is okay with me. I don't have to, well, I've, you know, I've, I've never done this and I've never done that, so that must mean that I'm good with God. No, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. We are under a covenant of grace. We're under a covenant of grace. It's not that we work for God's favor. We work from God's favor. So what that means is this. Grace isn't a license to sin, it's a birth certificate. What grace is, it's not a license to sin, it's not a license to just go do whatever you want to do. Grace is a birth certificate saying God has adopted you and you're in. It's okay. Cancel the performance. <laughs> you, you don't need to do that song and dance. You don't need to do those to, to, to earn God's approval to get yourself into his good graces. Grace isn't a license to sin, it's a birth certificate. This is, again, what it says in Hebrews 8, chapter 10. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. What the new covenant means is God is just saying, hey, because of what my son has accomplished, you're in. Because of what Jesus has done for you, what he has accomplished for you, something you could never, ever hope to even dream to accomplish for yourself. Because of that, you're in. Not because of your work, but because of his work. Not because of your holiness, but because of his holiness. That should give us freedom. That should give us confidence. This is how uh, the Apostle Paul says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, we are confident of all of this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. I, we're not here to boast about ourselves and how holy we are and how great of a law keeper we are. No, no, no. It's nothing about me. It's everything about him. It's nothing about how good I am. It's everything about how great God is and how great Jesus is and what he's done for me. And that just by putting my faith and trust in him, I'm in. It's incredible what can happen whenever we realize that, what happens to our confidence level when we realize we are not under law anymore. You don't have to perform for, for God to love you. It's incredible. I, I've, I remember uh, uh, playing basketball back in high school, and then I, I still play. I still like to play basketball. And one of the things that you'll do whenever we play pickup games, if you've got a lot of guys, um, and so you've got enough for two teams, but then you've got some guys who like are gonna be sitting on the side, how you determine who's playing the first games, what you do is you shoot free throws, right? First five to make free throws get to play. The other three, four, however many are left, sit on the side. You want to know what's so crazy? You'll watch guys whenever we're just shooting around, like just in between games. Nothing important. There's no pressure because we're just shooting around. You'll see guys go up to the foul line and shoot. They'll make seven, eight, nine, ten in a row. Nothing but net, just the second that we say, all right, everybody gather up, we need to shoot to, to get teams, and there's suddenly pressure, and it's not everyone shooting around, but it's everyone stopping, and they're just turning to watch you, 
and it's determining if you're gonna play or sit on the sidelines, suddenly those guys who have been seven in a row, eight in a row, nine in a row are up there. <sighs> Brick. <laughs> it's just instantly off because suddenly there is pressure to perform. Suddenly it's, oh, I'm not in. <laughs> I have to do something to get in. I have to perform to get in. I have to, I have to be good enough to get in. And what's so great, what's so awesome about the gospel, why the gospel is the gospel, why the gospel is good news, is that there is nothing you need to do well enough to get in except believe in Jesus, except trust in Jesus, except say, I I am agreeing with Jesus about my condition and about what he's done to save me from it. And that's it. That is it. That is why we can have confidence, not because we are qualified to do anything on our own, but because our qualification comes from Jesus Christ himself, That is good news. That is the gospel. That that is what it means for us to be under a covenant of grace. That's what it means to be out with the old and in with the new, that God says we're in, and so we're in. There's no ands, there's no ifs, there's no buts, there's no addendums, there's no clauses, there's no fine print. It's really that simple. So instead of being under the law, and I'm gonna ask the worship team if they would to come back up on stage. We're gonna get ready to close out here in just a moment. But this is, this is what this means. This is what it means for us to be under the new covenant. Instead of being under the law, Christians are under a law. One, the law of Christ. That's it. We see that word, that phrase come up over and over in scripture, the law of Christ. The apostle Paul talks about it, the law of Christ. The law of Christ is, is this new command that Jesus issued to us. We've read it a lot here at Cornerstone. You, you, chances are, you've ever been here. You, if you're here three weeks in a row, you'll hear this scripture verse. <laughs> John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus outlines his new command. It's a beautiful moment. He's at the Last Supper right before he's gonna be arrested, and he washes his disciples' feet. And then after it's over, after he spent three years loving on these people, being with these people, See, earlier in Jesus's ministry career, like early on, someone asked him, what's the greatest command? And Jesus refers to commands from the Mosaic law. He says, well, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He, he pulls back from those. He pulls back from those moments. But here, after Jesus's ministry career has finished, after Jesus has loved on his disciples and shown them what true love looks like, and is getting ready to love them to the point of his own death on the cross, in this moment, Jesus says, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a new command. I'm not just gonna tell you to love each other the way you would wanna be loved. I'm not, nope, I'm, I'm summing literally everything up in this one command. Now that you've seen me and you've seen how I've loved you, I want you to love everyone the way I've loved you. Not, I don't want you to love people the way that you, know, you would wanna be loved. No, I want you to love people the way I've loved you self-sacrificing love, love that goes to the very end, even for the people who are trying to hurt you and disparage you. That's the kind of love that I want you to have. That's what we have in Jesus. Instead of being under the law, we are now under a law, the law of Christ. And let me tell you, it's better. (laughs) It's better. When we're living out the law of Christ, what we see is that what God has done is he's taken this relationship with him that for so long has felt vertical, right? Like if I wanna be right with God, it's my personal relationship with God and it's me and it's my, myself and I, it's just how I relate to God. And what Jesus has done is completely turned that on its side and said, no, if you wanna be right with me, 
If you wanna be right with me, you enter into a relationship with me and then you love the people around you. Jesus has made things horizontal. He's made things communal. He's made things interpersonal. And when we follow Jesus this way, when we live out this new covenant reality, we realize everything gets better. <laughs> Our relationships get better. The way we interact with people gets better. Our spiritual walk gets better. Uh, the thing I was talking about earlier, the mindsets that can set in whenever we think that it's Jesus and the law, that we have to work for God's favor, that we have to pray over and over and over again for salvation, the, the holy pride that can be built up. When we are living out the law of Christ, those things cannot exist in a believer's life. You have no pride. It's gone. It's shattered. <laughs> because you're too busy loving other people. You don't have to constantly worry about, am, am I really saved? And do, what do I do to work for God's favor? Because you're already in. You're already in. And so since you're already accepted, already secure, already significant, all you do is love. All you do is show grace and truth. All you do is embody Jesus. Jesus has come, he has taken away the old, and he has given us something new and something better. And isn't that what he always does? Isn't that what he always does? Isn't that how God always works? Jesus always comes into a situation and changes it for the better and for forever. He, he always does. He comes into situations that are dead and he breathes new life into them. He comes into situations that are broken and he restores them. It's what he does. Aren't you thankful for a God like that? Aren't you thankful for a God that takes away the old and gives us something new. I wanna ask you if you would, let's stand to our feet because we're gonna get ready to worship that God as we close out today. The God who breathes life into dead situations, the God who turns graves into gardens. Let's worship together, all right? Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry, head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info. Have a great week.